season three, Manana. Season three, Manana. Someone admits it's season three, Manana. Jeff and Scott and Mrs. C. With Blanche and John, the crew, a new movie. It's so much fun that you'll have to pee. It's gonna cure your apathy. And I'm we. It's the Slum Gullion. Still booking ghosts on the Slum Gullion. You're not getting ghosts on the Slum Gullion. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Slum Gully in America's only podcast. I am Jeff. Three hours behind me is Scott. How are you today, sir? I'm doing good. Thank you. And how are you? I bet you're doing good. I'm doing better than I have been in a while. Yeah, before we get going, I do have a couple of things that I need to say. As most of you are probably aware, my mom passed away almost a month ago to the day, in fact. And if you didn't know, it, it was it was really bad. I found her. I'd been dealing with everything, you know, by myself. And then there were some financial issues, and I set up a GoFundMe to try and help me get through this month. And the the, the response was 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 truly humbling. And if there are any of you listeners out there who did contribute, I wanted to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Truly, thank you. I honestly felt completely lost, and I now actually feel somewhat normal again, and that is because of you guys. Really, thank you. It, 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 words cannot express what that meant to me. And I'd just like to say thank you for humbling Jeff. I know. It doesn't happen very often, so, so enjoy it while you can because you're probably not going to see it again for an exceptionally long time. I'm savoring it. And also, um, before we get into it, I also do want to say we have one hell of a UMC for you coming up. I'm not going to go into it. We'll save that surprise when we actually get into it. Just know that I am the least animated that you will ever hear me on the show. <laughs> Now, mind you, that was before I knew that I was actually going to survive the month. Right. When we recorded that, when we recorded, I was still somewhat depressed about the whole situation. So I wasn't exactly my usual spry self. So just, just be prepared. I, 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 it's Xanax, Jeff. <laughs> All right. So uh, we haven't actually done this particular section in a while. We, we just had a couple of like, you know, um, un, unknown movie challenge specials and, and, and stuff like that. So random fan geekiness, Scott, what do you want to talk about? Uh, I want to talk about the fact that Jim Jarmusch is making a zombie movie. Oh, my God. That trailer looks amazing. Doesn't it? I remember seeing Stranger Than Paradise. In an art house in New York City when I had just moved there. Okay. Thinking, oh, yeah, this is this is kind of what I thought the experience of living in New York would be like. You'd be sitting in theaters watching black and white movies about nonverbal characters filmed with a fairly static camera. So I feel if anyone's if anyone's going to bring you a, a zombie art film, and it's really way past time, I feel like it's going to be Jim Jarmusch. I can't wait to see this. I cannot wait. The two moments in this trailer that utterly gave me a semi. There were two specific moments where I went, oh my God, take my money now. And that rarely happens to me when I'm in a movie. It really, really does. But this movie had two of them. One, just Tilda Swinton. Yes. (laughs) That just, as soon as she popped up and I realized who it was and I heard the accent and I saw her with the katana, I'm just like, yes, please, God, yes. Oh, please. And then Adam Driver saying the word ghouls. (laughs) 
Just the way he said it. Yes, I apparently that's become a meme now. People are going ape shit over him saying that word, and I understand why because it's gold. It is comic gold. It really is. I I wanted to see phlegmatic Midwesterners besieged by zombies pretty much forever because it's sort of like not like a, it's a direct analog to the working class Brits who can't get over their multitude of resentments. Uh, right. Which is the apocalypse in Shaun of the Dead. But just to see some small town Midwesters, you, you just the kind of people who just are used to crappy weather and, you know, pretty much like a zombie apocalypse is really just like one notch above a snowpocalypse. It's not right. That I, I, I just I have a feeling and I know a lot of people thought the the trailer lacked energy, but it's a Jim Jarmusch film. It's like exactly it's not going to be a thrill ride. By any means, your pulses your pulse will not pound. But this is gonna this is gonna be a fun character piece. That's what I think, and so I'm really looking forward to it. And Tilda fucking Swinton, I'm, I'm just... with 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 that Scottish accent that could you, you could cut with a katana, and perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I honestly did not even know this was a thing. Apparently people had heard that like there had been rumors that Bill Murray was in a zombie film directed by Jarmusch, but I had not heard that. I thought that was a joke when I heard that. Oh, the first time I even heard about this film was when I saw the trailer on April Fool's Day. When I first heard that same rumor that Bill Murray was in a zombie film, it's like saying, oh, well, Wes Anderson is remaking Taxi Driver. Right. Like, yeah, okay, fine. Whatevs. I, exactly, but no this 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 looks genuinely unique and interesting. So I am very very excited about that. Another trailer, by the way, I don't know if you know this. It just dropped today. The first trailer for Joaquin Phoenix's Joker has dropped. I did see that. Yes. Okay, what did you think of that? I thought it looked like my kind of movie. Obviously, it's it's a period piece. I believe it's the eighties. All right. It, it really it's, it, it's it's Scorsese produced, so of course it's going to be in the eighties, right? It's got it's got a very grungy look to it, which again was the New York I remember when I lived there. I've heard that it's a standalone, and I hope it is. It, it, if, if it is supposed to be because if they try to plug him in, it. if they try to plug him into their current universe, that would be tough because that would make the Joker like seventy one years old, basically exactly. Trump's age. And exactly. I don't, I don't want to see that. But I do oh. want to see this. This, this pushed so many of my buttons. The big takeaway that I got from this particular trailer was, and this is entirely Joaquin's performance. I loved the physicality just in the trailer. Like the first time you see him, he's very browbeaten. His shoulders are slumped when he's walking. You know, he just looks like a very, very, very sad, sad little man. And then when you see him in costume, for lack of a better word, he's got this swagger. He's very much the Joker. Mm -hmm. And I really like the duality physicality rhyme time if you if you know what i mean i just thought that was very interesting just in a trailer showing that much right there yeah it seems early on in the trailer and he's writing in his journal about coping with mental illness and it looks like his mother's also afflicted and he's on medication and he's trying to desperately fit in to the point of of using his fingers to force his face to smile because it cannot on its own and then by the end he exactly he had when he's in that costume he is literally swaggering to the point where, oh, this is somebody who's found themselves. They found a horrible version of themselves. That makes this something very unusual for me. 
which is an origin story for a villain that I will not immediately hate because you know I hate when they try to explain villains. To see retrospective origin stories that try to explain somebody who didn't need explanation in the beginning. I mean, that's why I hated Solo or hated the idea of Solo. Let me put it that way. I was going to say, I I, I agree with you. I hated the idea, but I enjoyed the film. I did. For what it was, it was fun. Han Solo is my favorite character and probably is what made me gay. I still didn't mind the movies. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. But you get what I'm saying. Oh, absolutely. And yet, no, dude, when, when they first announced that film, I'm like, I have no fucking desire to see this movie. Right. And, and it was going to be the first Star Wars film that I was like, I can wait. It's always the same. It's always the same thing. Oh, he's a he's a failed comedian. He's I mean, it's, it's always the, this this tired notion. And here I what I there's nothing more painful than listening to someone tell bad jokes and bomb. Yes. And the fact that. It looks like having done it myself on stage. I know how painful that is. It stings. And yet here it seems like the fact that he's a clown and that that there's so many um, visual references to Chaplin films makes me think that a lot of the the performance based stuff will be silent bits, which is interesting to me. That's because if he's a, a, a silent clown, the fact that he becomes this highly verbal character as a villain Makes sense. That's an interesting transition. Not going from guy who tells bad jokes and gets booed to guy who tells bad jokes and kills the people who booze them. I don't I don't find that an interesting transition. I don't like doing this and I really, really shouldn't. But the scene in the trailer when he appears on the talk show, mm-hmm. all I could think of is Dark Knight Returns. I think that's deliberate. They probably won't go there. I mean, they won't do it the same way, but I would really, really love it if they use that as the inspiration for that scene. Yeah, up to a point, because this does not seem like the kind of Joker who has access to chemical weapons or flying robot dolls well, or any I'm sort not of even talking technology. about that. I'm like, like maybe, you know, his crowd comes in and shoots everybody. That's, right, what, that's I, what I mean. You know, I'm, up to a point. Because I, I don't want this movie to be... This sounds weird for a movie about the Joker. Usually, if a comic book movie is comic booky, I'm completely there for that. I don't right. want this thing to go that direction. It I would re- be nice I really if want this it to feel had like, the- I really want it to feel like a mid-70s Scorsese film. That would make me very happy. What I was going to say was I'd love to have the same reaction, although different emotionally, that I had with Logan. Oh, yes. I see what you're saying. Yes, I agree. Okay, that's now my opinion. Thank you. You know, if this makes me feel even remotely like I felt while I was watching Logan, and I don't mean from the emotionality, I just mean on like adapting a character and doing something different with the character, then I will be totally sold. You know, and like I said, at first I wasn't sure about this movie, much like Soul. I was like, do we really need this? But now that I've seen that trailer, I'm like, I'm not going to watch another trailer. I'm going to go in blind after this one. That This is all I'm going to watch now. But I, I'm actually kind of hopeful now. Yes, which I wasn't before. When when I heard the announcement, it just made me tired. And, Agreed. And it made me it made me a little peeved because I figured that you know just for the purposes of the show and for being reasonably well informed, I was going to have to go see it, and right. I was mildly resentful. Now I have mild to moderate anticipation. Yeah, I, ex- exactly. Mine is I, I would say mine is is moderate to possibly good or whatever is above moderate because I really was I was I was loathing this thing too, and now I'm like okay, and even like just that one just the one shot of 
walking, coming down the steps in character, doing his little dance. Yes, the steps that he sort of trudged up. And then dancing down as the Joker, I was like, okay, okay, Todd Phillips, take me. <laughs> yes. I, 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 I actually want to go on this journey now, so please make it worth it. Well, we'll see. We'll see. If but it, again, with Scorsese, with Scorsese as a producer, we might get that 70s Scorsese feel to it, which makes me even happy. The, the day we would see Scorsese producing a, a, a comic book movie. But you know what? God love him. Go with the times. Make 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 movies directly for streaming. Produce comic book films. I mean, re- remain relevant. You've always you know, you saw, he had this sort of outsider reputation for so long, and, and never really made studio films. So you know what? Until Hugo. Ugh. <laughs> Never really made studio films that I remember. Oh, <laughs> right. uh, yeah. But so that was, yeah, I was I was very, 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 very happy about that one. Shifting gears here. You said you went to see us for a second time. Yes. Yes, I did. Uh, this time, like, like I said, the first time I went to see it, it was I just the film just washed over me. I just sat there going, oh, my God, this is so cool. This time, the the analyst in me went. I went specifically to, like, focus on the acting, you know, to, to really focus on the performances and also to see how much um, Jordan Peele had layered in the first, you know, the first two thirds to set up the ending. Right. You said when we were talking before that there were clues dropped, but it wasn't like The Sixth Sense. And then you said, I think Us is a better film than The Sixth Sense. Now, I I bring this up solely to dispute it because I'm that kind of asshole. And here's kind of my feeling about Us in a nutshell. And it's as much as it grades on me to define a film in juxtaposition to some other film, because I think everything should be taken on its own terms. Since you brought up the comparison, I think The Sixth Sense, which is not a great film, I think it's a good film, is a much better film than Us, solely because of the twist. Not that the twist is so much better, but that it is so much more organic, and that it is mostly told visually. It's a series of cuts, flashbacks, you see images from his perspective that you saw and misinterpreted, thanks to the director, the first time. Whereas us, the twist is accompanied by an incredibly tedious lecture in in a classroom in front of a blackboard. And all I could think did that whole sequence, as much as I had loved the film up to this point, was when will she take a breath so I can take my drop slip up and get out of this class? I disagree with that, but I understand your point. <laughs> it's a it's a clunky twist. It requires so much exposition. So much makes no sense. Understood. Right. Understood. Now, like I said, for, again, this is this is. I feel like this is just me. I I love the fact, and I, and I know this. You're gonna you're going you're going to argue this point with me, and deservedly so, because an argument can be made against what I'm about to say. But I really loved the fact that that there is a lot of metaphor in this film, and I did love the fact that. Okay, even though there was that, as you put it, the 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 the, the exposition from hell. I, I I like the fact that even though there uh, still a lot of stuff wasn't explained, there is a lot in the film left for you to interpret. And it's just, it's in in an age in an age when when ever when usually most movies spell things out for you even worse than you think that clunky exposition was. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Most movies spell things out just as bad, if not worse, to a degree. I liked that this movie actually was like, nope, you can figure some things out on your own. What I wonder is how this movie made it through the test screening process without being forced to lampshade more of its story. There's this, I didn't want to say ambiguity, because it seems like he's laying out what it is. It's just what he laid out raises a bunch of questions, which I guess is ambiguity in a way. Anyway, it's not it's not being handed to you. How did I guess he got away with it because of Get Out? You know, it's like William Goldman said, nobody in Hollywood knows anything. Right. So so anybody who has any kind of success, they immediately go, okay, here, here's some money. Can you do that again? I mean, let's not forget that. um, um, Did you forget? Yes, I can. Let's not forget. I forgot. Let me take that back because it just went out of my. Take 72, go. Okay, and, oh, wait a second. Take 95! <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, I got it now. I got I'm it now. done. All right. Let's not forget that John Borman made Deliverance, and then they let him make Zardoz. <laughs> this is a much better film than Zardoz. Thank you. I was going to say, otherwise, we're going to throw down if you're going to compare us to Zardoz. No. At least Jordan Peele is trying to say something very specific in us. I don't know what the fuck uh, Borman was saying in Zardoz. More drugs, please. That may be it. Of course, I do forgive Borman for Zardoz because he gave us Excalibur. Yeah, he also gave us Exorcist Two: The Heretic. But he gave us Excalibur. He did. And he gave us Hope and Glory, which was a charming film and... Uh... That's about it, really. That's about it. Yeah, yeah, that, that's pretty much it. <laughs> You're more forgiving than I. Anyway. Freely, as I have said many times, and I think I, it's very possible that this movie, this movie fell into my, you know, give me a character that I will like and I will forgive things. Mm-hmm. It's very possible that, it, you know, if the acting had not been on par, if I hadn't have liked the characters, those issues that you bring up about us may have bothered me. It's very, very possible. But just because I think just it's I just think just because I liked everything else about the film when it got to that, I was along for the ride. I was so on the ride. You know, that wasn't a derailment for me as it was for you. Well, I will say this, that good casting is a part of good directing and using good actors. Well, because I've seen plenty of good actors squandered. Very spe- true. Speaking of Zardoz. <laughs> I mean, I, I Winston Duke has made a big splash thanks to uh, Black Panther. I don't know where he was in his career when he got cast in this movie. Nepito Longo, Oscar winner, not, not really used as well in other movies as she ought to have been. Hopefully like, this movie will, show, will, will, will tell directors, here's how to use this woman. Yeah, she can do this. Use her properly. Don't, don't hide her in a mocap suit under layers of computer-generated skin. It's, that's it. I want, I want Lupita Nyong'o and Tony Collette in a movie together. Why? Why not? Uh, I don't have a good argument against it. Those two women have given the two best performances in horror films not just by women, just two of the best performances in horror films in years. I mean, Tony Collette and Heredity, and then this. And this. I just want to see those two women work off each other. Oh, I thought you were talking about Tony Collette and The Sixth Sense. No, 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 no. I mean, from Heredity. I mean, from Heredity. I did not see that. Oh, dude. Okay. This. Okay. Um, you need to see Heredity. This is all I'm going to say. 
There are elements that may annoy you. I guessed the plot 20 minutes in only because I know my horror films. Right. That being said, Tony Collette gave the greatest performance in a horror film until us. Okay. She is painfully brilliant in Hereditary. I told my I told my mom <laughs> that was one of the last films that she watched actually was Hereditary because it was on Amazon and I was like you have to watch this film even if you don't like it you have to watch it for Tony Collette's performance. What was her reaction? She loved the film. Uh, she didn't she got, she was a little bit confused by the overall plot, but even she thought that Tony Collette was amazing. Okay. So I I I'm like even if you don't like horror films if you just enjoy great acting Hereditary should be seen for her because that performance is was my favorite performance in a in if not a horror film in a film for like a long time until Pia Nyong'o and us. So you hmm. well I agree that Pia Nyong'o was very good in this movie. I didn't feel bowled over. I know a lot of people do. For me, it's for me. It really is the actors play. I guess, like I said, we talked about it before. I have never seen a horror film where the actor plays both the victim and the victimizer. You know what? I can't think of one. I feel like that's such a powerful idea that it ought to have been done before now. But maybe I don't think it has been. I'm. You know, I, <laughs> I cannot conceive of one. So the whole first two thirds of the movie for me. It was it was just the, it was just act three that kind of ruined it for you. Right. And that's purely that's purely the disadvantage of being a writer, because there's so much of art that you cannot appreciate without that nitpicky voice in your head. You see, and you know, okay, granted, you're, you you are a much more prolific writer than I am nowadays. But I mean, you know, I am the same way. I, like I said, I think it was just I liked the characters and the actors so much that it didn't bother me. Like I said, it may normally it normally may have because you know I've nitpicked things for, for that exact same reason. Right, but it doesn't stop you from enjoying things, and maybe it's because you also have you're also trained as an actor, so you can appreciate that. For me, I, I, I have a respect for good acting, and it certainly can change how I feel about something. But for the most part, I'm always listening to the script, and if the actors don't make a, a purposely odd choice just to pull focus or and don't bump into the furniture, I'm fine. I gotcha. So it's structural problems that get into my skin the most because those are the things that are always hardest, certainly for me. Understood. I just couldn't let it go. And I, I couldn't let it go because when you said, when we first talked about this and you said, yeah, but the twist, as much as you dislike it, is set up and you listed a bunch of reasons and I've been thinking about it and I agree, you're right. It was not pulled out of the writer-director's ass. He did stepping stone his way toward that reveal. I, I won't argue with that. And I think if this movie had been 31% less good all the way through, that the end wouldn't have bothered me as much. It just, okay. I was so gripped by the film right up until then that the disappointment was proportional to how impressed I was with the first two thirds. I gotcha. I gotcha. See, folks, this is how you can talk. You, you see, you can talk about a movie, have disagreements and not call each other fuckwads. To your face. Yes. Amazing, isn't it? I also realized that we have been doing a non-spoiler version of this which we didn't even agree. Usually we have to have elaborate ground rules. It's, I, you know what? I think that's just an instinctive respect for the artist. You know, I think, I, I think we, we both respect what 
Jordan Peele did or at least attempted. The other thing that I got to say about Jordan Peele that I am so impressed with is when people people were calling us a thriller. Mm. And he came out and said, no, it's a horror film. I make horror films. I will continue to make horror films. And the fact that he said, I'm going to continue to make horror films makes me exceptionally happy. Because I mean, like I said, the first two films he's done, I have been utterly fascinated with. I think what he's doing in horror is very unique. And he has a very distinctive voice. I, I want to see him keep doing it. And I love the fact that he's a huge horror nerd. It's a good time for a smart, gifted writer-director to get into the genre because there's enough of... Uh, a market for it now that it's really attracting a lot of hacks. Well, and as we all know, as has been proven since time immemorial, when things are crappy in the world, horror films are popular. That's true. I think it's hysterical. People are talking once again, as always happens, people are talking about the quote unquote resurgence of horror. Like it's some new thing. All of a sudden horror is popular. And I'm like, okay, do you people not know history at all? It does go through cycles, but those cycles are sort of like, like a humpback whale. (laughs) I mean, sometimes you see it breaking the surface and there's just like, there's the the dorsal fin for a second and then it's gone. And sometimes they breach and everybody sees it from the whale watching boat. Ooh, look, I mean, there have been horror cycles, but nowadays because they get, they're getting major studio backing, they're much more visible. I mean, there was a huge horror resurgence in the seventies. But a lot yep, yep. of it was confined to drive-ins. Yep, yep. You know, so it was, it was seen, if at all, by distracted teenagers through a steam-clouded windshield. Or me and my mother. Right. Ma, because that was, that was the one thing I'm going to go off on. I'm going to go off on a little tangent here. Growing up, my, my mom was a huge, huge horror fan. Um, one of the first books she let me read was Carrie. Really? Well, it, well I, like I said, I've told this story before. I knew how to read before I started kindergarten. I had a high school reading level when I was in fourth grade. What happened? Ha, ha, ha. Um, they actually, this is, this is, this is, this is one of the reasons why I had no friends in grade school. They actually, I had my own shelf in the grade school library because they brought books in from the high school for me. Oh yeah. That's a, that's a nerd red flag. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. But I mean, I'd read everything in the grade school library and it was boring as hell. Well, my mother, who was a huge horror reader, I like, I wanted one of her books. I wanted a real book to read. And, and, um, the first book that she gave me to read was Carrie. And that was like the first real adult book that I ever read. And (laughs) this is a true story. After I'd finished the book, mom thought that I would ask her about telekinesis or, you know, the religious mother and the themes of the book and my big question to mom was what's menstruation yeah <laughs> but uh mom was a like i said she was a huge horror fan and when i was growing up she would take me to the drive-in i saw so many horror films when i was a kid the driving with my mom from the only unsteamed up car on the lot very probably yes but i mean it, like i said one year i think i mentioned this before i think it was for my 14th birthday she took me to an all night horror marathon oh i remember those it was it, it was halloween 2 an american werewolf in london the fun house oh i remember that too yeah early toby hooper and uh, there was one other film, I can't remember what it was, but those were the four that I specifically remember. How old were you? I was 14. All I right. think it was my 14th birthday for that one. 
But yeah, I mean, and mom, mom was always like the reason she didn't mind, especially with the books, because she was like, you know, if with the books, if I had any questions, I could ask her. And with the movies, I was she was always there if I got scared. That's kind of the coolest birthday from that period I can think of, because 14 is tough because you're, you know, you're too old for a party clown, but you're too young to go out and do anything really fun. And yep. your parents, you're not old enough for your parents to feel completely comfortable letting you just go out with your friends. So it's usually something lame, like a bowling alley, <laughs> but an all-night horror marathon. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I, 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 I totally, my my love for the, the genre, even though I hate most films in it, but my love for the genre really does stem from mom. Well, that's a great gift. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I completely, I completely agree with that. But, 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 anyway, what else was I going to say? Take 312. <laughs> Your turn while I'm trying to figure out where I was going to go. What's next on the agenda? Well, this is a really jam-packed month. I mean, uh, today's, when we're recording this, it's, the, it's April 3rd, and uh, Shazam opens on the 5th, which uh, Mary and I have actually, we saw uh, an earlier screening of it. Oh, you've seen it? Yes, Ooh, I am actually going um, tomorrow night. I think you will have fun with it. Okay. Uh, well, I have. A, I think I'm going to have fun with it too. So I, I, I mean, just from the trailers, I'm like, I like Zachary Levi. The trailer has been entertaining. I love the kid from Stranger Things. So I'm like, all right, this, this is, this looks like it's going to be fun. I think you will find that your initial impression of that is going to be confirmed. Uh, we really enjoyed it. Uh, we're going to good. Okay. Go- and then uh, the Hellboy remake, reboot, whatever the hell. Ooh, it is. is that this month? That's coming out on the twelfth. Ooh, okay. And then, and then, the Infinity War Part Two is when? Uh, the twenty sixth. Okay. So lots of stuff going on this month, and it used to be. Remember that there was just that trough between Christmas and like Memorial Day. Yes. Oh, yes. It was just like it was a bad, bad time to try to go to the movies, and which is why actually I saw a bunch of stuff that I had no business seeing and no interest in seeing when I was a kid that kind of warped me. I remember my mother would just try to get me out of the house. Just, <laughs> just go. Just go away. So I would wind up going to the movies, and there was nothing that interested a kid, nothing to see when I was young. And I, I wound up going with a friend of mine. I, I don't even think we knew what was playing at the theater we just rode our bikes there and we wound up at age like 11 seeing the paper chase oh wow and oh wow my friend was bored stiff i was laughing my ass off i thought it was one of the funniest things i'd ever seen i just loved that 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 sort of bombastic intellectual vanity that the character walks in with and then just just the way he slinks off at the end uh, and John Houseman. I mean, just what can you say about John Houseman? I yeah, mean, it's, it continues to amaze me that that's basically that basically his first acting job. Remember the TV show Paper Chase? Oh, vaguely. I didn't see much of it. It just it seemed like a wan simulacrum of the movie, uh, but it uh, did have the guy who starred in War of the Lost World, so had, <laughs> had that going for him. Now, when I was a kid, in my teenage years, like fourteen through eighteen, when I was doing Rocky Horror. Mm-hmm. Um, it was done at a uh, single screen, gigantic theater I miss that, also those. Had a, that also had a stage because they did stage productions and like concerts there as well. Right. So it was a big fucking theater, right? And it was great. The people who worked there absolutely loved me. 
So I could see, I could go and see the movies there for free. Oh, nice. So they always got, it was a second run theater. Movies were only a dollar back in that, back oh, in that day. Oh, I missed that and too. Yes, it was one of those theaters and it was always second run. So for like those, for like those four years, I rarely went to like the, the burgeoning cineplexes at that time because I didn't have to because I knew I'd see them eventually for free. You know what I missed too? And, and this was killed off by video stores and, and no, streaming. But um, I miss revival houses. They're still around. Uh, there used, used to be more of them. But I also miss the dollar theaters that were in effect revival houses because they would show second and third run movies. The kind of stuff that by the time I saw them, again, my mother threw us out of the house. My sister and I went to the uh, the Mesa, which was this crappy, vaguely smelly, not, not at all hygienic dollar theater on uh, Newport Boulevard in Costa Mesa. And... We saw a weird-ass double bill of uh, two movies we'd never seen, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and Jaws. Oh, my God. I know. It made absolutely zero sense. But uh, I missed that. Just accidentally stumbling into weird double bills uh, and getting your eyes open by both both movies. I still remember. I still remember how amazed I was the first time I saw Jaws. How old were you? Oh, let's see here. Um, okay, Jaws 2 came out in 78, right? I don't know. Well, I, I, yeah, it had to have been 78 because I was in Florida with my father at the time. So, yeah, okay. I did not see Jaws until I was like maybe it was 9 or 10 on television. Oh, you saw it on television. Because I had read after I, I saw Jaws 2 in the theater. And just because I'd seen the commercial for it and I begged my dad to take me to see. I did not know anything about the first Jaws. Really? Uh, no, no, no clue whatsoever. I just remember seeing the commercial just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water. The all new Jaws 2. And I had no clue. I'm like, OK, I want to see this. And my dad and my stepmom took me to see it. And it scared the living hell out of me. Hmm. I actually do remember this. I, at one point, there was, I was sitting in the seat with my hands over my eyes going, I never want to see this again. I never want to see this again. I never want to see this again. Yeah, I, I was saying the same thing, but not because I was scared. But for different reasons, yes. Um, well, then, like, uh, I, I think it was like a year or so later, I'd read the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the book, Joss, I found the book somewhere. I'm like, ooh, here's the book. Okay, I'll, I'll read the, the first one. And I fucking hated that book with livid breathing oh, passion. It's awful. It's a you terribly see, I, written book. And I never wanted to see the original Jaws, not because the sequel scenario is because I hated the book so much. I remember when the whole thing with Matt Hooper having the affair with Ellen Brody. And I'm just like, what? Even as a kid, I'm like, no, this has nothing to do with the fish. What is this? It's it's basically Peter Benchley saying, yeah, I read Peyton Place. Yes. And then the only reason I even wanted to see it was one of my teachers at the time who was a movie fan who talked to me about movies. You know, I told them that I'd seen Jaws 2, asked me if I'd seen the original. And I said, no, I read the book and I hated the book. And um, the teacher said to me, trust me, the movie is nothing like the book. And then it was on TV one time. And I said, OK, I'll, I'll watch it. And like, of course, it blew me away. Yeah, I'm glad I saw it on, on a movie screen before I ever saw it on television. Uh, in fact, to this day, I have a hard time watching it on TV. Mary doesn't. She can watch anything cut up with commercials. It doesn't matter to her. She can watch Star Wars movies. It's it just it just grates on me. But 
I think I've, I've, I've told this story before, but when I was in uh, junior high school, one of my friends, his dad worked at Universal, and he would bring home scripts to read. Oh, wow. And I read Jaws because my mother had it. And you read the script? No. Well, I re- first I read the novel. Oh, okay. Because um, my, my mother had the book, and she would finish a book, and she would toss it you know, on the coffee table, and then I would, I would usually pick it up and read it. Uh, I was probably the only nine-year-old boy who read Coffee, Tea, or Me. <laughs> yeah, you probably were. So I read the book, and it was terrible. And then yes. I was talking to it with this friend. He says, oh, my dad, they're making the movie. And uh, I said, well, it's got to be terrible. I'm sure it's going to be. Of course, how could it be worse than that book? He says, well, you haven't read the script. I go, I'd like to. So he gave me the script. Oh, my God. But it wasn't the Carl Gottlieb screenplay. It was the screenplay that Peter Benchley wrote. Oh, 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 oh. And that had all the stupid shit in it, didn't it? Yes, it was. All that stuff was still in there. It was it was the worst thing ever. I got, well, no one's who wants to see this movie. No one's going to see this is going to be the biggest disaster. Wait, I have a question. I have a question real fast. Was the affair in the film as well? At that point, it was, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. He put that in the film, too. Jesus Christ. Ew. This this is why I'm always amazed when writers, uh, Gillian Flynn, adapt their own novels successfully, because you really have to break the book's mold before you can pour out the good stuff and recast it. For a movie. So Carl Gottlieb really, really was the savior of that film, script-wise. Oh, he's the hero of that movie. I mean, as 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 uh, gifted as Steven Spielberg was, the 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 script is really what what made them. And, and you know, a lot of people say, "Oh, well, because the shark failed, he he decided not to show it, and he created suspense." Well, that's all true. There were a lot of happy right. accidents on that film. Very true. But given the the circumstances under which that script was written. I mean, on set, like on a barge, without computers. They were just writing pages, weren't they? Writing pages, maybe not even on an electric typewriter, maybe just some old Underwood. That is a heroic act of screenwriting. And he has, he will always have my respect. And I, and I know a lot of people had a hand in the script. That's fine. And, you know, kudos to John Milius for the Indianapolis speech. But... Still, the fact that, now, that how movie... much of that, how much of that, how much of that was Melius? Because I, I'd, I'd heard, I don't know if this is true or not, but I think that that even Robert Shaw took a pass at it himself. He did. I, I mean, everything, okay. everything that's that's in a movie, the scripts go through multiple hands. The directors well, right. have their say. Actors, depending on who they are, won't necessarily right. ad lib, but they say, "I don't like that." They'll ask you to come up with something else. Sometimes they'll drop a line and they'll just, oh, well, that actually makes it move a little bit faster. Why don't you, we don't need that. I um, was going to say, you've been on set enough, so you know all about that stuff. Yeah, and sometimes it's incredibly frustrating. And sometimes, again, they're, they're happy accidents. And sometimes it's just somebody saying to you, try harder. Go back to the trailer. Come back with something better. And... Without giving you any sense of direction, just go be better? I'm simplifying it. Sometimes you'll get direction. Sometimes you'll get direction. But sometimes you just don't know why something's not working. Okay. And the only person you can really yell at (laughs) and say, be better, is the writer. Because no one's going to yell at the the director. The producer's trying to make peace. Right. You can't afford to yell at the actors. Because they'll just stir them off to their trailer. Right. You need them. If they're not in front of the camera, the, the, the movie's not happening. But 
you know, you can you can yell at that guy in the, in the three holer, you know, next to the <laughs> next to the toilets and tell him to write better. So, things happen like the shark not working or you don't get a prop or you don't get a, a, a scene. You don't get a setting that you thought you were going to get and you wrote to. And it's like, "All right, well, that was a good scene. Set it in somewhere entirely different." with a whole other mood at a different time of day and make it exactly as good. So sometimes that doesn't work. And sometimes, you know, inspiration strikes. But I, I mean, Jaws is, is, a, is an amazing confluence of forces that could have easily derailed the movie. I mean, it could have been at long last love. It could have been... <laughs> Heaven's Gate. It could have been Heaven's Gate. Exactly. Heaven's Gate is a perfect example. So... So I, I so I read the script and it was terrible and I swore I'd never go to the movie, which is why I didn't see it when it came out in '75. Although at '75 I couldn't drive, I would have had to have somebody take me, right? Uh, and uh, that wasn't going to happen. So the first script that this kid gave me was another movie. No, no, it wasn't the first one. It was the one I remember the most. Was a movie called The Swarm. Oh dear Lord, The Swarm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Swarm. Now, this was, you know, <laughs> again, based on a, a, a sort of an echo horror, uh, which was huge in the 70s, um, yep. based on a novel. And See, I, I did not know that until fairly recently. I thought that was all came, stemmed from Irwin Allen's d- deranged brain. Uh, I'm sure Irwin Allen's deranged brain leaked all over the process. But it, it was, yeah, based on a novel. The screenplay I read was written by Sterling Siliphant. Who okay, was an Academy Award-winning writer. I recognize that name. I don't know what what I recognize the name from, but I do know that name. He won an Oscar for In the Heat of the Night. That explains it. Okay, and I remember when this movie finally came out because it was in development for a long time. Yep, I I, think, I, I I remember the commercials for that. How I even even pre-internet, I remember thinking that it taken a while. Right, because they just couldn't. They couldn't get it right. What what are, one of the big problems, and it's not one they ever solved, was at that time, pre CGI, they had no convincing way to animate a swarm of bees. Nope. It just looked like a cartoon cloud. Yep. Yep. And they never got past it. Now, what they tried to give it gravitas by casting a bunch of big name actors. I mean, uh, Richard Widmark's in it. I think Henry Fonda's in Henry, it. I, yeah, Henry Fonda's the scientist that kills himself. Right. He injects himself with bee venom. Michael Caine. Michael Caine, who at that point was... Preparing for Jaws the Revenge. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but I read... I, when, the, when the movie finally came out, I, I saw it because I'd read a script that turned out not to be all that different from what they finally shot. I guess they just gave up in the, the uh, development process. All right, just start the cameras going. This is, this is as good as it's going to get. And, and I think it was, the, I think it was the, in Variety, the, uh, the reviewer said, Sterling Siliphant has been coasting on the Oscar he won for In the Heat of the Night for 10 years. And he's still doing it. It was such lazy writing. And, and it, gave me a, it gave me an idea of what the, the screenplay shorthand was. And yep. why it's kind of terrible to read. Why why civilians should not read screenplays, right? I mean, they they will when they put out when they publish screenplays, it's always it, it's adapted for a reading public. But absolutely, like Richard Widmark's character, who who was some tight ass general. Yes, and he's there was he had one character note in his hard forties. Oh God! Like, oh, really, man? Okay, 
this, this hard but that's hard 40s but that's wow. that's the screenplay as painful as it was to get through and even to a kid it was agonizing that's the that's the one that planted the idea in my head that I could write screenplays because who couldn't so thank you Sterling Sullivan I guess wow wow oh the swarm I actually saw, I saw that when it came out of course you did because it was sort of horror-ish and it it was a you know it was one of those summer movies and yeah why why wouldn't you have seen it I mean I went to see it I, I went into it knowing it was going to be horrific now it was much worse than I thought it was going to be we I I, th- I think mom and I thought it was a comedy because we laughed most I of the movie I was laughing too and the person I was seeing it with I was on a t- this is this is sad. You were on a date, date with the, for the when you saw the well, swarm. We, we, there was no second date, was there? No, no, no. This was well into the relationship, but th- that's the oh, reason because okay. we'd seen everything else. I got gotcha. you. So, and this was this came out in I think July of nineteen seventy eight. So, you know, it, it, we lived in this little beach town, and to get away from the tourists, we'd go to the movie theaters because one, you know, they were air conditioned, and two, people on vacation, at least back then before people were as sedentary uh, as they are now. Everyone, right. Everyone's an extra from Wall-E now. But back then, ah. back then, people would like, you know, you, your dad would say, I'm paying for this goddamn beach house. Get out there with a beach ball. You know, play, play shuttlecock, swim, do something. You know, kids aren't going to the movies. You can do that when you're home. So we would go to the movie theaters to get away from the tourists. Right. And, uh, you know, we sometimes paid for that by seeing things like the swarm. The thing about the swarm is, that always amazed me. It's like this, the swarm came out, I think the same year or the year after star Wars did. Yep. And star Wars was famously made for $9 million. The swarm cost like what? 30 gajillion dollars. What? 21 million. Okay. Made Ted. Yep. But the swarm had a budget over twice what star Wars had to get, to get that cartoon cloud of bugs. I think I saw the swarm. You're going to love this. I'm about 90% sure that we saw the swarm on a double feature with Food of the Gods. Oh, that's perfect. Okay. I'm See, almost positive that was the double feature for that. That makes, makes way more sense than Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and Jaws. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. When I saw, since, since we've been talking Jaws, I got to tell this story. Jaws the Revenge. <laughs> Jaws the Revenge comes out and I remember the only reason that I went to see the film was I I, got, I did not know any of the backstory at that time. I didn't even know that Lorraine Gary was married to the head of the studio. I never I didn't find that out until like almost maybe five or six years ago. But it's always one of those aha moments it's like oh now it all makes sense but i was like okay it's it's about mrs brody and i remember thinking okay the kids are completely different ages again from jaws 3 which is different from Jaws. okay whatever they're each film with its own little timeline i'm fine with that the thing that that, that got to me i remember i'm I'm seeing i went to see it by myself I saw a lot of films by myself and it wasn't well, granted, I didn't have friends, but I liked watching films by myself because I wanted to watch the movie, not talk to people while they're going on. Yes, me too. I, even I, as a kid, even as a kid, I was like, I want to focus on the movie. I want that experience. So if I could see a film by myself, I was actually much happier. Also, it allowed me to go see films that were iffier 
and I wouldn't have to feel bad afterwards. Yes, I, I hated I hated going to see a movie that that sounded fun to me, and turned out to be terrible, and then I would feel like I owed the person I had talked into it. So that yeah, seeing movies alone may seem psychopathic to some people who just can't imagine it, but to me, it's a very guilt free experience. Exactly, but I, so I, I go to see Jaws: The Revenge, and I mean, I knew I knew going into it that it was going to be a bad film because of Jaws 3D. Ah, yes. I mean, right off the bat, I was like, okay, the, the, there's no way that a Jaws film is going to be good now. It's just not going to happen. So, with Jaws: The Revenge, was it uh, this time? It's personal. Yes. Okay, I remember the tagline. I don't remember. Yes, it was. Yes, that. Yep, this time it's personal. And the two moments where. I lost it. I, I I I was told to shush because there were two minutes in the film, and it was a. I saw it like opening weekend, and it was a fa- fairly packed theater, and I d- disturbed the entire theater by gut busting laughing twice in the film. No, I take that back. Three times. There were three times that I lost it. First, there's one shot in particular after the uh, um, Ellen has gone to the Bahamas, where you know the shark is following her to the Bahamas. Uh huh. There's this one shot where you see, where you see the shark swimming, and you know it's going down there, and that made me laugh. Well, right? she should have. I mean, every, everybody oh, knows that 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 shark summered in the Bahamas. Exactly, and then then there was the moment when um, towards the end, two moments at the end where I totally lost it, where uh, when Michael Caine's plane gets eaten and he crawls up on the ship and his clothes are completely dry. <laughs> And nobody, I actually had somebody ask me why I was laughing at that point. Did you see his clothes? He was dry. They weren't dry. Like, no, they weren't. Was, yes, they were. They were completely dry. And then the moment where I was told to quite literally shut the fuck up, the the, the, the roaring shark. Oh, yeah. That was, uh, at, at that point, like I said, I mean, at that point, I had already seen Jaws like many, many, many times. It's still one of my favorite films. And that just felt like such a bastardization i could not stop laughing you know you bring up an interesting point you know it's like as movie technology advances and the way motion pictures are consumed by the audience changes certain things fall by the wayside i mean it's always a big deal now when a film is heavy on practical effects because that's that's an art form that's slowly dying i think i don't think you're ever going to lose it but those those prop shops are not as numerous as they used to be one job that has become increasingly important in the age of binging and streaming and all that is continuity. Yep. Because it used to be you could get away with shit that now will get called out in the goofs section of IMDb. <laughs> and some of it is pretty shameless. But it's like, oh, I saw that in the theater. I never noticed that. No, because if the movie's doing its job, you don't notice the technical details. You're, you're, you're involved in the story. But nowadays, you cannot get away with that because anyone I hate to be this asshole because I know how hard it is to, to do this. But I will still stop a movie. And go, what? Wait, rewind. Go, oh, well, it's like now his clothes are dry or uh, the, the, it has two wings or whatever. It's, it's weird that the, the continuity people who are always like a minor, minor annoyance, it's like, no, 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 wait, 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 cut, cut. There should be lipstick stains on that styrofoam cup. Shut up. No one's going to notice that. Well, now they will. Now everyone's an asshole with a remote control. There's a song there. Everyone's Every, an asshole. Exactly. It's, a, it's, a, it's in the sequel to Avenue Q. 
<laughs> you beat me to the joke. Good job. Good job. You were heading right where I you went right where I was heading. Good man. Ah, uh, so wow. How did the hell would we get into bad monster movies of the seventies? Oh, how do we ever go anywhere? Tangents, my friend. Tangents. Uh, Anything else you want to throw in before we wrap this puppy up? Because we do have one hell of a UMC to come up. We do, and I I don't think I have any 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 way to to uh, drag us off course again. <laughs> well, alrighty then. Uh, give us a give us a couple of seconds, and we will be right back with. Get ready for it, folks. The entire new movie crew. Yay! And until then, here's Ida Lapino and a giant chicken. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, I want to see that movie. <laughs> it's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. challenge. It's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. challenge. It's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie challenge. That's, That's right. right. It's, it's the, the unknown movie, movie challenge. It's the unknown what movie. What we gonna watch? Unknown movie challenge. It's the unknown what movie. What we gonna watch? Unknown movie challenge. It's the unknown what movie. What we gonna watch? Unknown movie challenge. That's right. It's the unknown movie challenge. Ready for battle. And welcome to the Unknown Movie Challenge. Uh, this is our first full new movie crew podcast of 2019. So welcome back to John Blanche and Mary. Yay! Yay! In, in that spirit, uh, we're we're, <laughs> we're also uh, doing a three time zone special here, which is usually something we only have to resort to when the Brits are guesting, but. Uh, <laughs> John and Blanche are podcasting from their new home in the Hawaiian Islands. Yay! So, if, yeah. if you guys want to put this on pause and go get yourself some sort of rum drink, it's <laughs> you have our you have our permission. Don't need pause for that. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we can wait till the break. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We'll have a nutrition break: graham crackers <laughs> and rum, just like in kindergarten. <laughs> It, it was the 60s. Things were a little bit looser then. I was going to say, all I got was apple juice and a Twizzler. Now, wow, they give you a Twizzler? Oh, Twizzlers, oh, wow. You they have, said it was apple juice. You must, <laughs> you must have gone to some sort of really... A little bit of drill in it. <laughs> oh, those Montessori schools. I went to the Neverland grade school. Oh. Ooh. That's right. I went there. You deal with went it. went there. All right. <laughs> Oh, how I miss this. <laughs> so this week we are doing somewhat tardier than usual Captain Marvel, which is the latest release from Marvel Studios. Even though it feels like one of the first, but that's neither here nor there. Oh, all right. Well, we'll get into that. <laughs> we're we're going to try to fit this in really quickly because April is going to be a damn busy month. Yeah. We, with uh, Shazam, the former Captain Marvel, followed by Avengers Endgame. Yeah, that thing. Infinity War Part 2. Oh, you know. that. Okay, first off, let's just go uh, around to do a quick thumbs up, thumbs down on the movie, then we'll get into specifics. Let's start with John, since he, he I know he's done his due diligence. Yeah, I saw it three times. Three times? Wow, wow. wow. Just just so I could remember what I saw. Yeah, we did. We did, <laughs> we did drag this out, and I apologize for that. <laughs> Things just happened. Give three thumbs up, then. Ah, okay, very good. Uh, and I'm sure Blanche was there for these. So, what's your judgment? 
Um, thumbs up. Just just the one though. Just the one. All right. Of the three I, possible thumbs. I give thumbs up to the movie and thumbs down to the dining experience. Right. All right. Well, I, <laughs> I, I, we're not going to review the we're not going to review the ArcLight Cafe uh, in this show, but uh, we'll get to it. Those bastards have it coming. Uh, oh boy, Jeff. Thumbs slightly elevated. Thumbs slightly elevated. So kind of like a half chub. Yes. All right. I have a semi. All righty. Frida Larson gave me a semi. There you go. Uh, congratulations, Brie. High praise. Yeah. <laughs> it's not easy to do if you're not, uh, if Jeff's not, uh, you know, 11 years old and you're not Han Solo. <laughs> oh, seven. And seven. Oh, you, right. you were precocious. Yes, I was. Uh, thumbs up for me, too. So let's start with just briefly talking about how the movie was received. Uh, before it came out, of course, it had a historically low uh, user rating on Rotten Tomatoes because it got gamed by the sort of people who are into Gamergate. But this, this time they fought back. They tried to do something about it. And when it came out, those people kind of slunk off and the movie stood or not uh, on its own feet and on, on the experience it provided. It's very successful. It seems to have wiped away whatever qualms or, I feel, excuses people may have had for not making female-led superhero movies. Although, uh, although um, one of one of the bearded mid-30s guys who like led the charge against it lately has been saying that it's not actually successful at all and that most of the theaters are empty. And that nobody, nobody's really seeing it, and Disney and Marvel are overinflating the money that it's actually making. Uh, however, however that works. However that works. There you go, yeah. <laughs> I mean, exhibitors, the movie theaters themselves, report ticket numbers. So are they in on the conspiracy? I guess so. I oh. guess everybody's in on it because, uh, you know, they, um, this this movie is such a, a huge smack into the face to mid-30s bearded white guys, I guess. Hmm. Well, we I, went I myself three times. The numbers. We what? went three times and the theaters were full. I was going to say, when I saw it, it was packed. Yeah, I went to, uh, Mary and I saw it, well, granted, I think we saw it on opening night and naturally it was packed. But I went back a few days ago because, like John, my... My memory was fading into the Avalonian mists of time. And it was a very healthy crowd for, I think it was like a Thursday night. So I, I can't tell you offhand whether jet fuel can, in fact, melt steel beams. But I can pretty much tell you that this conspiracy is a bunch of shit. But thank you for bringing that up. It's funny. I, I feel like I missed a lot. I mean, I had a beard in my mid-30s. And I just feel like apparently I wasn't putting it to the right use because I was not I was not issuing conspiracy theories from the middle of it. Mm. And for, and from a deeply cramped basement. Well, I, li- I grew up in California. We don't have basements for the most oh, part. Oh, that, that's true. No, that, that's that's the one thing that I discovered when I did my 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 dive into the um into the the last Jedi hate, and it's the same people who did a lot of the last Jedi hate. I discovered who are who are doing the Captain Marvel hates. The same group of of the YouTubers, mm-hmm. and seriously, bearded white guys in cramped rooms with lots of um toys and 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 video games surrounding them whining. Those are the truthers. <laughs> See, Scott, misspent childhood. Yep, yep. Well, you know what? I mean, I it's hard to cook up. I mean, a really good conspiracy theory, you need a fairly large chalkboard and you need room to post uh, black and white photographs and, and link them all with red string. And, and Yeah, string is the important part. Exactly. Indeed. And, Indeed. and growing up in California, I mean, 
the only place you could I could possibly have done that was in the crawl space uh, over the living room. And really, there's just way too much of that fiberglass insulation up there. My mom would not have let me concoct conspiracy theories. So and bodies. And it was the only gaming <laughs> that we had. When I was a kid. What pong? <laughs> pong. Pong is on Mary's mind. Pa- uh, Mary was complaining about pong. Last night, I guess it was the first. It was the first game you got, video game. Mm-hmm. It was the first. You set the, the the dials just right. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to touch it again. Right. Yep. It it would just it yep. would just bounce the ball back and forth, which is actually kind of like the echo chamber for these these conspiracies. <laughs> did, did you know that if you uh, if you you move the pong pong handle down quickly, you could put spin on the ball. What? I, I, yeah. I, how do you spin a little square pixel? I, it, I, it recognizes that you hit it on it quickly on a on a down swift rather than just moving it down to let it hit it. Oh. And if you were moving when it hit it, it said it would change the arc. All right, people. So in addition to our thoughts on this movie, you're getting some very valuable 50-year-old video game life hacks. <laughs> <laughs> and in Space Invaders, if you hit the... Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's start with with the structure of the movie, which is indeed, uh, and unsurprisingly so, an origin story. But it takes it in a slightly different, it it takes a slightly different tack to it in that the hero is not in on it uh, when it starts and has no clue what the hell is going on. It's probably fortunate that she was not captured by, say, the Skrulls, because it would have been a little bit harder to convince her that she was one of them. I guess they would have had to just say, well, you got stuck in this form. You're, You're kind of like a TARDIS. (laughs) and thankfully there are apparently some pink Cree so she doesn't have to wonder why she's the only one who's not blue she's I guess you could just say she had she had whatever the Cree equivalent of that thing that that Michael Jackson insisted he had there you go whatever the skin condition is so yeah that's the thing it took me the third time to see that wait so the Cree are not all blue I get it right and it was interesting I I thought it was interesting to, to see Ronan without his war paint on as of course, by the time we we meet him in Guardians of the Galaxy, he's he's gone rogue following the the peace treaty, which I guess now retroactively was was forced on the Kree by Captain Marvel. But uh, he looked oddly naked without it. He just he he looked sort of like like a drag queen taking it all off after the show. <laughs> yeah, he did. I agree. So, so how did you feel? Uh, let's start with with. Uh, Blanche, how did you feel the the structure work? Because it was very, it came out, it was very unusual for this kind of movie. Usually they're they're very rigidly linear, and this played around with that. Uh, I think it worked. Well, at first you're not sure what the hell is happening because they're throwing all this action at you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it helped to engage people immediately. But then, sure, when you start getting these weird flashbacks when when uh, they're probing her mind. Uh, yeah, it forces you to pay attention so that you can keep keep straight what the heck is happening. I think it was successful. I think that's an important point because uh, so many of these origins have been done to death. I mean, how many times have we seen Spider-Man's origin? How many times have they rebooted that? How many times have we seen Martha and Thomas? Yes. Uh, Get done down. Which, uh, the Wayne's which Martha? Martha which Martha? Oh, no. Uh, yeah, exactly. Which one? You're my brother? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Did you did you hear about that by the way? What? Real side yeah. 
Oh, okay, yeah, I just found this out, and um, apparently it went during the course of Batman v Superman, there was a thought, and some people apparently, when this was posted on the interwebs, were saying, oh, that sounds cool, man, which further makes me sick, that they were going to have Martha Wayne and Martha Kent be the same person. <laughs> what? Yeah, that Martha Kent somehow survived and she was put in the witness relocation program and was sent to a small town in Kansas or wherever the hell Smallville is. Oh my God. This was a thing. I, I, this is a legitimate that thing. Doesn't make any sense. Why wouldn't the son be sent as well? I, I hey. Remember, exactly. this is this is this is this is from Zack Snyder, the same guy that said, said that just what did he say recently? Fans need to wake the fuck up. Yeah, because oh, Batman's Batman a killer. Kills. Superman kills. Wake the fuck up. All the, all of the like, 80, however, like 70 years of Batman not killing isn't anything. But that's neither here nor there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah I will say as far as the structure goes, uh, one I'm of my so... latest bugaboos is uh, in both TV and in film is this continuous flipping between past, present, past, present, past, present, future, past, present, yeah. you know, without an indication of where you are. And it just that's become so annoying to me. And then yet in this thing, I never felt that. So that's that that's my kudo to their structure. I, I have to agree with that because it is becoming such an, an exhausted technique and, and exhausting. It really is. I can I can sort of buy it in a TV show where they really have to they have to play all parts of the piano at all moments. I mean, you it, try to keep people interested because there's so many other distractions and so many other uh, things claiming people's interest. I mean, if you paid for a movie, you're generally going to watch the screen unless you're one of those assholes who looks at your phone after having paid $18. But yeah, this was, it was used sparingly, but I think uh, enough to give it, give it a different flavor. It helped us see through her eyes what she was going through. That kind of, wait a minute, what? I've been to this place before. I Right, mm-hmm. right, and it's interesting because yeah, because even though we're we're exploring her story, she's she's the she's the the audience's point of view character. She basically, when it starts, knows no more about it than we do, and um, I think that that was also kind of a smart move on the filmmaker's part, because Carol, having been conditioned to this Cree society where it's where individualism is obviously frowned on to a certain extent, and everyone for all for the good of all Cree seems to be their well creed. Um, so the fact that, that she had this past life and that she's learning about it makes it seem like, oh, she's going to become more interesting because she's very flat when it first starts. I mean, she has a sense of humor, but it's, it's generally subdued. She's, she's obviously making an effort to fit in and failing. So, and, and then she gets sent to these, to speak with the Supreme Intelligence, which I guess is being like being sent to the principal's office on Hala. Uh, I, I don't know if it's a good thing or not, but um, that that reminds me that uh, originally the supreme intelligence was just was just going to be some optical effect, and the one of the directors, the uh, the woman, uh, part of the directing team, had the idea to make um, Marvel and the supreme intelligence played by the same character, which mm-hmm. I think was an interesting an interesting bridging device and and kind of an, one of the story breakthroughs that is way smarter. Then having Martha Kent and Martha Wayne be the same person. <laughs> the thing, the thing that I will note is that with the, with any cuts that they did uh, in time jumps, uh, you always knew 
what was happening. And one of the techniques I was impressed by was that when they're first drawing stuff out of her memories, mm-hmm. that they had that the voiceover uh, of uh, the scroll, scroll general, so that she's just walking around in a, in a hangar and you're hearing this voice and saying, giving directions and stuff. So you knew this was not just a, uh, a scene that we're looking at right now. It's, it is something else. Right. They can say, oh, what was that? What was that? Uh, rewind that. Zoom in on that. Right. Exactly. And, and it was interesting that every time they did it and, and the same sequence played, the Carol in it got confused. Like mm-hmm. she, she said she said her line, but she said it a different way every time, which which was a nice signal that that she's in there, too. I mean, she's experiencing the memories, but she's also to a certain level conscious. That, right. The old, are you hearing that? And right, exactly. And, and I think that's why she suddenly wakes up because they, they kept playing the same scene. And she, wait a minute, deja vu or what is this? And then, yes. Being, being tapped on the forehead helped. That did help. That's it. Because <laughs> that would wake me up. Yeah, especially with that claw that kid had. Yeah. So I guess they don't have those, uh, those Korean nail parlors uh, in scroll <laughs> space. Does anyone also feel like that they, they took a risk allowing Brie Larson to play the character kind of flat early on? Well, I was kind of thinking that she was too cutesy to be to be badass, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was it was sort of like uh, what's her name uh, in Zorro, Catherine Douglas's Jones. wife. Yeah, when she says "not bad," and she's just kind of like, "Hmm, yeah, you're good. I'm good too." But it's just too cutesy. Uh, it was interesting to me that that none of the other Cree had powers, uh, right. which which is in keeping with the the canon. But you, when it, you start off, you don't, I, at least I didn't even notice it until fairly well into the, that first action sequence when they, they try to recover their intelligence agent. And you notice, mm-hmm. wait, they've all got weapons. Yonrog, the Jude Law character, has a glowy hand, but it's technological. It's a, it's a, right. it's a machine. She's the only one who actually has superpowers. So right. I assume she's also the only one who has that little inhibitor chip or whatever it was that, uh, that glowed on her neck that seemed to be how they controlled her. Mm-hmm. Right. It it wasn't, you know, truthfully, it wasn't until the end of the movie that you realize that, yeah, she's had that all along because of, you know, the explosion uh, is that they were suppressing it, but telling her that they gave it to her in order to say, you know, you know if, you, if you're not stay, you don't stay in line, we'll take it away. Right. What can be given can be taken away. Then you're nothing special. Uh, so basically, the Kree were trying to weaponize her. Um, yes. Which is entirely in keeping with, uh, again, with canon, because the Cree, the, the whole backstory of the Inhumans is that they were genetic experiments performed on humans and uh, I think other species by the Cree who were trying to build uh, weapons of mass destruction to win their various wars. That was, she that was, was the start of that? She wasn't the start of it, no. That, I mean, it, it made sense that the Cree found her and rather than dissecting her, decided, well, let's see if we can use her as a weapon. Mm-hmm. What what was your feeling about Brie Larson's performance overall? Because the the reviews she's been getting are kind of all over the map. Uh, I think she did a great job. I know what she's like as an actress. I've seen her in other stuff, and this this isn't any necessarily any different for her. She's kind of an understated thing, and I actually thought it was good considering she was opposite Sam Jackson, who's kind of a he's kind of a broader actor. And and uh, the Ben Mendelsohn character, I'm mean, like he was around. She was around these these bigger characters. Like she doesn't. She was kind of more of a stabilizing force, and she would just kind of with a smirk or with a a nod would would say her line or her quips. And I I actually had no problem, and never 
I always felt the criticisms against her were uh, unwarranted for the most part. Um, I think if she'd have been broader, people would have said, "Ugh, she's so bad." Yeah, I completely agree with you on that. She was. This movie was damned if you do, damned if you don't from the get go. Yeah. Amongst I, that crowd. I think too. She's not a loose gun. She's not a loose cannon. She's not a maverick. Well, she's also. It's also countering the 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 baloney that she's being told. You know, you you have to control your emotions. You have to control your emotions. You're too emotional, which of course she's not. Mm-hmm. And and also probably even further containing herself just to be sure that she doesn't, even though that was just something used to control her further or, you know, to keep her in their control. Right. So if she was well, all over the place, it wouldn't it, it wouldn't show that that being a lie. Right. Oh, she is emotional. Well, yeah, she needs to control herself. One of the things that impressed me uh, is a little teeny piece of her performance uh, was when she walks up to the security guy and rattles all this all the stuff of like, yeah, it's totally, uh, you know, everybody knows this. I, I'm with the Space Force, and I so where can I get, you know, uh, it's like very, very matter of fact and common rather than than you how you would normally hear somebody. It's Space Force now, and uh, you know whatever, you know, not yeah. declarative. Yeah, I did. I did like that moment. She knocks on the on the window and he rolls it down after really thinking hard about it. Should I? Well, mm-hmm. all right. And then she's just flipping through that data pad on her arm, saying, "Cree Space Force." Uh, do you understand me? Is my is my Universal Translator working? Right. And mm-hmm. uh, and I just like so so. Are, are you in charge of security for this district? <laughs> I have right. to say, I love this line because well, the movie theater has its own guy, but. <laughs> Right, and they and they got it. They got a, a Radio Shack joke in there, which uh, well, they had to. It was the nineties. I mean, exactly. Come on. I mean, the the blockbuster and the Radio Shack thing made me happy. But Blanche brings up an interesting point that her performance reminded me a little bit in the flashbacks when she's in the Air Force, and she's got that same little small smile, little smirk, those, those sidelong glances, and it reminded me actually of. As odd as this will sound, Tom Cruise's performance in Top Gun, cocky, smirky. Yeah, I, I'll salute you, but really just imagine it's one middle finger. Um, mm. I don't feel like she, she was copying it, but I, it just felt like she was taking that sort of quiet pilot bravado. I mean, the fact, I don't think it was an accident that the, the one video she pulls off the shelves in Blockbuster is the right stuff. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Well, she did meet, and probably where Tom Cruise got it, because I'm sure when he prepared for that, he met with pilots and whatever. And she did too. She went in the in in. Uh, she flew with uh, female pilots, Air Force pilots, and stuff. And so she went. And so I'm guessing she's basing her performance on the way they were. Mm. So if, if it reminded you of maybe something Tom Cruise did, I'm guessing he did similar back then, and uh, they may be emulating. Uh, a pilot's calm bravado of just kind of, yeah, I got this. Because right. you, you have to be cocksure of yourself. Right. I would think. What did you feel about her performance, Mary? I liked all of it. I mean, I thought she was funny. She had, when she was being funny, I thought she was brave. When she, I mean, I, I think she was a great superhero. I, I agree. I mean, she was, was as, as Blanche mentioned, she was playing opposite Ben Mendelsohn, who's pretty theatrical, certainly in this. Yeah. And, and Samuel L. Jackson, who is a very dynamic actor, and she did. I felt like she held her own. That she, she decided to just occupy that quiet space and 
drew the eye. And she did train very hard for the role, and that paid off. It's hard to tell nowadays because they can CG faces into stunt sequences very easily. But she did carry herself like somebody who was, well, very sure of themselves. Well, I was going to say, like I told you, Scott, I, 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 got, I got the Starbucks vibe off her. The Starbucks oh, yeah. vibe. Right, right. When you said that, it did th- that lit something up in my brain. Because, yeah, 10 years ago, could have been a, a Katie Sackhoff role. She yes. Had, <laughs> she had everything Starbuck except the uh, the cigar. Yeah, I, I was I like the whole the whole especially especially once once things got going, I'm sitting there going, yeah, okay, I could have I, I could see her playing Starbuck. I could see Katie Sackhoff playing this role. This works. I'm I'm I, I'm into this. Wasn't Katie Sackhoff mentioned when they first started talking about doing a Captain Marvel? That you, you may very well be right. I think that that sounds right to me, but I feel my brain's a little bit fuzzy right now. <laughs> I think, but uh, yeah, that sounds right. I think she was mentioned by fans, actually. Ah, yeah, uh, there were fans who wanted her. Surprisingly, there were a lot of fans who wanted Brie Larson before she'd ever heard of the project. And that scene in the bar where they're sitting there talking and he's uh, giving her information and stuff, and she's saying things like, "Well, girls can't do that." And he's going, how do I know that you don't, you know, that you can see the difference in the in the two performance styles right there? You know, she's very right. casual. And he's and he's what does that mean? You know, that kind of stuff. Right. Well, this is the first time he's dealt with aliens, too. So he's a little freaked. Right. Now that you mentioned it, and I had forgotten how much this gave me joy. But I love the fact that she is continually fucking with Nick Fury in this movie. <laughs> right. By the time, yeah. by the time yeah. we meet him. Nobody fucks with Nick Fury. He he is the fucker, not the fucky. I think that was another clever thing the filmmakers did. That part of the way she holds her own with Fury is that he's always a little off center with her. That she she knows stuff he doesn't, and he also basically knows that she's incredibly dangerous. Not never threatening to him, but still. She, and he thinks she's an alien when they first meet. So it's a nice Anybody insight find into his his evolution. To, and- to how they put that clue into how he got the Avengers idea from mm-hmm. her. Anybody find it interesting that they always had him eating? <laughs> I didn't notice that. Yeah. It's like every, it's like every time they were like in a, the, a scene where it was a bunch of them together in a house or somewhere else, he's always chomping down on something or he's, or he's sucking on a soda. That's true. He's eating Monica Rambeau out of house and home. Or uh, not Monica. Monica is her daughter. Maria Rambo is her yeah, friend. And people were saying, well, you know, they disrespected one of the captains. I don't think they did. They planted the seed that this kid. They could. had Nick Fury washing dishes. Fury would never wash <laughs> dishes. Yeah. Did, did they... That was an actual that was an really? actual complaint. I saw that. Oh, geez. There is they no. They were mad that Fury did dishes. Because <laughs> he just throws them away. Right. <laughs> he was poorly raised. His mom taught him, no, when you're a guest in someone's house, you don't do whatever you can to help out. Hell no. Right. I mean, Nick Fury's supposed to be what? In his 40s in this? So in the 90s? So he was raised in an era when, I, I hate to tell you, uh, 30-year-old bearded guys, but a lot of houses did not have dishwashers when Fury would have been a kid. Yeah. Exactly. <sighs> Fury does dishes. That should have been the title. Ooh, that would have pissed me. <laughs> I saw that porno. <laughs> so a lot of people do like uh, Ben Mendelsohn, uh, his performance. How, how did you feel about that, Jeff? Well, I guess the, the acting all across this, I was like, I really, 
I was genuine. I mean, again, it this just this ties into why it this I was thumb slightly elevated for me is everyone knows so I'm kind of not mad, but most of the Marvel films I'm just kind of like, oh, it's a thing, right? You know, I mean, it, it didn't blow me. I, it's, I enjoyed it. You know what I mean? I mean, it felt it. They did. Everybody was fine. <laughs> I just my big thing. My big thing with it was just it felt like this felt like this should have been a phase one movie and not the film right before Endgame. Why do you feel that way? I don't know. It just it just I, I walked out of it and and I was like, OK, I enjoyed it. It was a nice it was a very nice introduction to the character. Um, part of it. OK, part of it is they should have had a female superhero in phase one. God damn it. But that's neither here nor there. But I, it's, it really is hard to describe. It just it just it just it felt like. As well put, as well made an origin story as it was, an origin story just, I don't know, maybe it's like the quote-unquote storyteller in me. I didn't. I just didn't feel like like an origin story should have been right before the ending of the of the first four, in, the, the first three phases of the universe. Endgame is going mm-hmm. to like end the first three phases. We're going to start everything new after that. And I'm like, right before the ending, we get a beginning. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, actually, I, that, to me, that... Considering when it's set, it is kind of a phase one. Well, that is, yeah, yeah. In that respect, that's a valid point. And I think what you just said, that right before the ending, there's a beginning, I think could be looked at as a smart thing because they want the wheel to keep turning without any end. And having brought in Captain Marvel at this point, just because it wasn't possible because they didn't have the stones to do a a female movie before this, is certainly something that they're subject to criticism for. But I guess it really depends uh, how big a role she's going to have in Endgame. Because if she's crucial to it, then I think it's going to retroactively look like a good idea to have taken the time to give her her own origin story rather than just drop her into Endgame and have her suddenly there's this awesome person who wasn't available, you know, four months ago. Right. So I, that's a good point. In some ways, it does feel like a, a phase one movie only because you're right. It, it's so weird that they're just now getting around to do doing um, a, a female led movie. Part of it, I think, is because Marvel, when they were failing b- before they became this juggernaut and then were picked up by Disney, Marvel sold off a lot of its hottest properties it sold off spider-man it sold off the x-man sold off the ones everyone wanted i mean as we all know they started the marvel universe with iron man who was never more than a third tier character even in the comic books yeah so they 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 just lucked out they struck gold i mean well we all did i think those of us who enjoy these movies it it, it was it was weirdly easier for dc as retrograde as they are and, and and as and as reactionary as they are, because it seems like they just do a lot of stuff because Marvel did it, and they were like stumbling to catch up and have their own universe when it it made less sense. But they've always had this triumvirate, the Trinity, the they call it: Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. So the fact that they got to Wonder Woman, a female-led film, first doesn't seem all that odd because they they still have control of all their characters. Right, you know they didn't they didn't sell it. I mean, who and Marvel? I gotta say, to this day, has been until they introduced Ms. Marvel recently, who's who's something of a phenomenon. Marvel has always been kind of had like a piss poor collection of female superheroes. I mean, even Black Widow does not have superpowers, right? So, will it be a superhero movie when she finally gets it? Well, what's her name? Does the one that's Charlotte. with Charlotte I believe she was part of what they sold off. But I, I wonder if they just had to cut a deal. They had to get her because otherwise it was just going to be a complete sausage fest. I will say the one thing that um, really 
surprised me in this film that I that I wasn't expecting at all. And granted, I only know a little bit about the whole. I, I read the Kree Scroll wrote this Kree Scroll War back in the day in the Avengers storyline, uh-huh. but uh, the one thing that really surprised me was making some of the scrolls the good guys. Yes, I was not ready for that. I was like, huh? I was like, okay, this is new. I am totally down for that. Once that happened, that was when the... I'm not going to say the film really kicked in for me, but that was the moment when I went, okay, I am officially on board. I liked it up until that point, but that was the moment when I really went, okay, all right, this is this is something... They're doing something, uh, they're definitely doing something new here. This is cool. I did not see that twist coming. I, I thought for sure they were setting up Secret Wars where the... Oh, I did too. Yeah. I totally thought that was going to be the next, like, quote-unquote Avengers film. Right. And the scrolls are unquestionably the bad guy in that. That's one of the reasons I asked about Ben Mendelsohn, because he does have this sort of disarming offhand uh, tone at other times that I thought was odd, an odd choice. For, for somebody who's who's playing a villain. It turns out he's not. And I think, I think the blazer helped. The blazer helped, yes. It's hard to <laughs> it's hard to look it's hard to look like a supervillain in a sport coat. He needed a turtleneck. Exactly, at the very least. I, I'm glad we got back to Ben Meldson because uh, I was I was liking his performance that he, he made an alien seem homey and chatty. Yes. 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 It's a visual joke that he's he's sucking on the uh, the soda. Uh, but it's it's also kind of like yeah okay why not i yeah i want to ask i don't john blanche how familiar you were with with the scrolls or the uh position that they have occupied in in, uh the marvel universe but having known all that i thought like uh, jeff and mary i thought for sure they were teeing the scrolls up to be the next big bads and i was gobstruck when that twist happened now i'm assuming you didn't know too much about them when you went in or did you no we didn't really know much about it Okay, so was it still a surprise for us? Because we we're just mostly TV and movies, Marvel. So we watch like Agents of Shield and so on. Agents of Shield, it's the the Kree that are the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And so okay. I know John made mention about how like wow, well Captain Marvel, she's with the Kree. I thought we we're supposed to not like them. I thought they were the bad guys because the whole like last season, I think of. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the Kree were horrible, you know? Mm-hmm. And, of course, we've seen them in Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, Ronin and, and all these being really bad people. So that was the the interesting thing. So, yeah, that that's that's where we came from. And as far as the film goes, I mean, uh, I completely bought that they were the bad guys for the first part, and I completely bought that they were the misunderstood good guys in the second part. Absolutely. But I can also see not knowing, because I did read later that, that that there's a whole uh, war with the scrolls later mm-hmm. uh, or in the bo- in the in the comics so i can see how maybe if they're teeing up how there's a twist you know cuz they're they have their own civilization i don't want to say people are people and maybe once they get stronger you know that's going to be the twist is that they become aggressive even even this character that we've learned to love, the Mendelssohn character, then becomes something else or not. I mean, I don't know. I think it's not outside of Marvel's way of saying, okay, things are complicated and people have layers. And, you know, once when you're the downtrod, you're very sympathetic. But once you have power, maybe, you know, you become a totalitarian dick. I don't know. <laughs> he, he himself said he's done horrible things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. This, yeah, that says, is true. This, it's this war. And, My hands are filthy from it too. Yeah, and even and even if it's just uh, you become powerful and want to take retribution on those who have made you suffer, that can then 
expand and you go end up going beyond that because power goes to your head. That's another reason I think this was smart to place this in the past, because 25 years have ensued. And, and as you say, anything can happen. You, I mean, you remember yep. in the 80s, where the, basically what became mm-hmm. Al-Qaeda were, were our clients. Yeah. So who knows? They, they may not have thrown it away as a storyline. But on the other hand, at this point, I have no clue where Marvel's going. I don't even know why I watch the trailers anymore, because they're all lies. They're a tissue of lies. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the Secret Wars storyline might be too confusing to be a movie. Yeah, it's it, it would be sort of a mess as far as the characters they built up. It now, and not to mention, um, considering we don't know how many of the uh, of the original Avengers are going to survive the end of Endgame, um, it would be kind of it wouldn't it wouldn't be as emotionally powerful to have oh wait all of a sudden it's 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 T'Challa who's a scroll you know what I mean it wouldn't right. work as well right exactly for that to work it would need to be like the core group and since we don't know who's going to be left if anybody you know it it it, it just wouldn't be as as impactful yeah the the joke would be on the scrolls because like I am Captain America uh, no you're not no I am look see I've shielded everything. yeah he's dead. Oh, crap. <laughs> I am Thor. No, no, no. <laughs> Do you feel like going forward that this has changed anything? That the success of this movie and the fact that that sort of misogynist counterattack petered out so quickly kind of lifts the yoke from the, the creative people and says, OK, it's, it's you don't you don't have to skew everything toward male heroes anymore that we can just whoever is best. I just want the goddamn Black Widow movie. That would be yeah. a nice. I have nice? wanted. I have wanted a Black Widow movie since the first fucking Avengers. I love what Scarlett Johansson has done with the character. I think at this point the character deserves her own damn film. You know, let let her and Hawkeye have a spy film. Here, here, there you go. I agree. And also, she uh, nobody's give her going to give her uh, give her crap about uh, whitewashing. <laughs> what you really should cast someone who's Russian in that role. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have one question that I want to ask the group. How did you guys feel about Fury and the cat? I liked it. Okay. Well, you're talking to cat people, I think. So, yeah. <laughs> I, well, no, I the whole, the whole, the, the whole, the fact that that's how Fury lost his eye. Oh, you know what? I know people were pissed off. No, he did not lose it to a cat. Like, yeah, come on, that was not a, a pretty lurking. Exactly. That is a serious uh, opponent there. That yeah. Is it better if you lost it to an alien? Yeah. It is an alien. An alien. Yeah. An alien that ate like five guys. Yes. Yeah. I uh, loved after Goose scratched Fury, and he was like, oh, "I'll be fine." And Mendelssohn's back there going, "No, no." <laughs> <laughs> I just want to put in my two cents about Mendelssohn. I keep forgetting. I'm. I'm. I'm a. I'm actually a big fan of his and I was so happy to see him play a kind of this character um, because lately in movies he's been the very authoritarian you know buttoned up horrible person or yes. just very um, or very just buttoned up you know because in the that uh, Gary Oldman uh, Winston Churchill movie he played the king so yep. he was very proper and very you know and he was fantastic obviously but it was great to see him play something more closer to himself with his own accent and 
John and I were lucky enough to see him and Gary Oldman in a Q&A for that movie. Ooh. And he is so squirrely. He's so funny, just kind of <laughs> laid back. He's, a, he's the kind of guy who just slouches in his chair and is just really relaxed and the complete opposite of the characters that we usually have seen him play on, on film. And so it was, I was very happy to see him in this one because he was a bit more loose and it was fun. What I have an observation. Yes. I've always, I've always been uh, bemused by the fact that uh, transmorphs uh, are able to transmorph clothing as well. Uh, so, I'm, so I'm assuming that they're just always naked and they always make the clothing look like, you know, just they, they're part, that's part of them. That's part of their body. So they're just walking around naked all the time. So he has a thing for blazers, you're saying. He just... <laughs> he basically came to Earth. Now, you know, yeah, he'd like to find his family. And, and sure, it would be a bonus uh, to get the Tesseract. But really, he was aching to go to a men's warehouse. Exactly. Also, if we're going to talk about the things we didn't like, the reunion scene on the ship in orbit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That dragged. We I mean, did not need the pinball kid. No. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, and, and just and just for Fury to say, um, if you, you know, if I was alone with the Bumble machine for six years, I'd be great at it too. Why well, makes you think he's great at it? You've seen it for thirteen seconds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah he's the got the score. yeah, he's got the high score. But whoever plays it first gets the high score. High score, exactly. I give Marvel points for uh, getting uh, sneaking a, a Sam Jackson motherfucker in the film with Mother Flurkin. Yes. Mother yes. Flurkin, yeah. That was good. That was, good. That, that that was, was a good. cute touch. That was a cute touch. I was just going to say real fast, on, on a special effects level, I was really impressed with the de-aging of Sam Jackson. Um, Clark Gregson frightened me. Yeah, he yeah. did. He <laughs> was there, was, there was some... There was some scary ass Grant uh, Grand Moff Tarkin uh, uncanny valley with 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 Agent Colston in the film. He was more frightening than the scrolls. That might yeah. be why he's not used a lot in the well. Maybe <laughs> yeah. Here was my question because I think you're absolutely right. And when we we meet Sam Jackson, oh wow, the effect is great. I was very impressed. And then we see Colston, and of course I was glad to see Clark Gregg in the movie. But oh, he yes. did look a little odd. I go, oh okay, so they blew the budget on Fury. Yes. And they didn't spend much on him. But then you find out that the Coulson that we see, that we meet, for the most part... Is a scroll. Is a scroll. So I'm going, like, right. okay, was he deliberately not perfect because he'd no, been sinned? No. Yeah. Okay. At the end, in the last scene when he brings in the eyeballs, you're like, no, he's creepy. All right. Yeah. Okay. And I did like, and I did also like the fact that this was kind of almost like a buddy picture with, with uh, Fury and her. Oh, very much so. It had the, it mm-hmm. definitely it had very much had an eighties cop yeah buddy picture vibe to it. Which I, I thought really that was that was a for, for that was a, a, a once again the one thing that I will give Marvel credit for, which is another reason why I want the the Hawkeye Black Widow spy film, is their ability to not mess around with genres. Yes, they they can take Marvel has become very skilled at incorporating other genres into this lar- this larger meta narrative. And I don't think that's something DC has done as well. And I think it's no. basically just baked into the, D- the DNA of DC with its with its mythic heroes and Marvel, the House of Ideas, which always wanted to play more at street level. So I think Marvel's heroes are less iconic, but they are more elastic 
which if you're talking about keeping a franchise going, is probably the better position to be in. And not just the uh, Black Widow Hawkeye movie. I want a Marvel horror film. <laughs> well, they... I want a straight out and out horror film set it's in the Marvel, Marvel zombies. Well, I don't think there. I don't think we're ever going to get that uh, as a film. But I mean, I'd, I'd like to see. I, I think it'd be fun to see a, a, a superhero horror film. Well, I believe New Mutants is at least if that's like a... if that's even going to get released now. Right. That right. that, that may that, have been that orphaned. may that may be a victim of the merger. What's that other movie that's coming out where the kid he's got abilities but he doesn't use them for good? Oh, the new James Gunn film. The, the, yeah, the, that the one. Deuce film, Brightburn. Just saw scary. the trailer for that. I have to admit, that one, I'm like, okay, that could be it. Yeah, I mean, basically, it's what if Superman fell to Earth, was found by this loving couple, and he still grew up to be an enormous dick and just, like, killed people and enjoyed it. Uh, it's, yeah. a, it's a scary thought. I don't know if I want to see a movie about it. It, it seems more like a, like a, like a 32-page Elsewhere Worlds comic. You know, what if Superman was a huge dick? Oh, you mean like the way he was in the Silver Age? Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. That won't be the first time he's been a huge dick. No, that's true. I just keep picturing a dildo, a giant dildo with a cape. And <laughs> a big ass that's on it. And a big ass on right it. <laughs> so, after the Marvel horror, I guess they'll have the, the Marvel uh, lesbian porno. And uh, really, they can keep this going forever. You know, there's just there's a, there's a lot of different genres they can do. Oh yeah. But well, the the question is, when they do release the Marvel lesbian porno, will those guys in the basement still hate it? Yes. Good point. Will that be the thing that shuts them up? No, no they would hate it. They would hate it if it was two guys. Oh yeah. Oh. There's where the hate would be, and since it's a lesbian porno, it'd be it'd be okay. Sad but true. I true. think. All right, and on the on the uh, superhero lesbian porno note, as always. <laughs> That's how we end all of the, uh, of the UMCs with the crew lesbian porn. We, we have traditions for a reason. <laughs> so let's go to fascinating, irritating. And let's start with Mary. Oh. Uh. <laughs> I, I was not expecting to be called on. I didn't do my homework. I, um, fascinating. I love the fact that they took Marvell and made it a woman. And that made their heads explode even more. Because Marvell in the comics is a guy. Yep. True. So I, I love that. Irritating? Wow. Uh, I can't. I liked it. Okay. I guess irritating. <laughs> um, where was Nick Fury when Goose threw up the Tesseract? He was in the bathroom. Oh, okay. Because he, he's got to clean that up. Yeah. It's, uh, the, just the fact that the film implies that Fury, in addition to losing his eye, had to clean up cat vomit kind of made me love it again. So, Okay, Blanche? I, too, did not do my homework. So, um, fascinating. I, I, I think it's kind of cool that it this seems to have set up, like, the next Captain Marvel movie is still yet another flashback. And probably with Ronan, which I think is cool. I love Lee Pace. And maybe, in that sense, could be a Guardians of the Galaxy prequel. I don't know. Maybe. Anyway, very interesting. And irritating... Oh, just just the backlash, the it, ridiculous stuff people are saying about it. Because uh, other than the slow part that I mentioned that I thought was really unnecessary in the reunion scene in the ship, uh, I, I, I liked it for the most part. Okay. John? Well, let's start with irritating. Uh, what was the, the, the era for this again? The 70s? Uh, it was yeah, 90s. 90s. 
90s. Okay, well, 90s. All right. I just thought it was uh, uh, irritating that uh, a scroll with only finer modi minor modifications could turn a jet into something that's, that travels in space. You know, I, the how you made jet, jet engines work in space is, takes a little bit more than minor modifications. Also, the, those jets weren't designed to be airtight, you know, because they had right. suits. Stuff. Right. So just minor modifications. Uh, that was kind of irritating to me. But the kind of fascinating to me was uh, one of the things that really disappointed me was watching uh, the trailers and seeing this one scene where uh, the CGI of, of the captain flying up with our eyes glowing, turning and flying back down. And I said, that looks so fake. <laughs> that looks so really, really fake. And I will say that in the film... I watched it three times, and in the film, I never got that. Mm. That 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 little bit by itself looks fake, but when it's in you know in context, it totally looks real. So I will. That was fascinating to me. You brought up the the fact that they convert the the quad. I like the fact that the 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 Quinjet's obvious predecessor is the Quadjet. <laughs> that, <laughs> like, well, how do we make this thing better? I know. Yeah, that the, they were able to to basically go back to Radio Shack and turn a scramjet into a. Uh, some sort of quantum drive or whatever the hell it was. But mm -hmm. it's funny how consistently we like to laugh at our own technology. It's like mm -hmm. the, that, that scene, and I've seen it twice, in that scene where they finally get the recording from the black box and they put it in that computer and then you just see it loading and Kel's going, what, what's happening? She goes, it's loading. And just people are laughing mm -hmm. at that. They just, yes. they were just like laughing at how just crappy our computers are in the 90s. Um, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know why that's always funny to us, but that, that, that joke, no matter where you put it, that always seems to work. And you need a long distance code to continue this. Yes, course. that's <laughs> right. That's right. And I wouldn't be surprised if we heard like a, like a, a modem dial up noise at some point. Um, yes. Oh, and she's in, she's in the uh, library. She, she's right. She's in that internet cafe. And right, she just like rather. loses connection. It's like, <laughs> right. That's fine. Anyway, you're, you were going to say, yeah, I was going to say that, you know, uh, as a, as a side thing to that, uh, if we are to believe that uh, transmorphs that all of those clothes are, are a part of their body. Mm -hmm. If any one of them has ever said, don't cut that tag off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ouch. Ooh, no, no, it wasn't just the laundry instructions. I can't have children now. Oh, well. <laughs> The skin tag. Oh, the skin tag. That <laughs> that gives whole new meaning to skin tag. You're right. You're right. Oh, whole new gross meaning. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Um, let's see. Fascinating for me was kind of a mix of um, two things, really. A, the fact, the fact that I, this is, again, the special effects, totally believed the de-aged Nick Fury. I totally bought that, and I loved the fact that the film was basically, as I said, like a buddy a buddy cop movie almost. I really liked the genre that they chose to put these superheroes into for this film. I, I liked that. And um, I also really, really liked the acting all around in this sucker. The, the, my main negative, except for the fact that it, I, I almost... I'll just keep it with this. I'm going to agree with uh, John and Blanche, the pinball scene. That reunions, no, that just went on way too long. That was the part where I was going, okay, now I feel like I'm watching a regular Marvel movie with the, where I'm getting bored now. All right. And as John said, it was basically that whole bit was there for that one Samuel L. Jackson. The one joke, yeah. Joke, and it wasn't even that good of a joke. 
No. You bring up a point that, that really, I have to admit, I, I admire how smart this movie is and how they anticipated a lot of problems. I mean, basically, you've got Nick Fury, who has no superpowers. You have a character who winds up being one of the most powerful characters in the Marvel Universe by the end of the film. Right. And how do you how do you keep Fury from just being a sidekick? And they do it by having her, one, not knowing what her powers are and, and having them be just very basic through much of the film and having Fury know at least as much about the situation as she does. And the solution was was that buddy cop dynamic. So that's part of what made it fun and made him not feel like an appendage. Yes. Whenever a film could do that, like what Wonder Woman did with Steve Trevor, I remember that was one of the first things when we saw it. I walked out going, okay, that's how you do a love interest. That's how you do a, a sidekick and not make them annoying. All right, fascinating for me. And this is really stepping outside the movie a little bit, but but I can't help but my experience of the film be informed by what's going on in the larger culture. And I, it's kind of interesting to me how very quickly the rage monkeys got bored and stopped flinging poop at this thing. Um, now that's either a testament to the quality of the film, or it's a sign that like most scavengers, they're not looking for a fight and were quickly discouraged by its skyrocketing box office to go search for easier pickings. Maybe, I think that, I, mean, I think it was hard to argue with the numbers, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'd li- like to say, the distaff reboot of Ghostbusters, Captain Marvel did make a lot of money very quickly. So they couldn't, like with Ghostbusters, go dance on its grave. And also, I, I don't think anyone, any of the mid-30s bearded guys, have any real emotional investment in Captain Marvel. Right. I like Ghostbusters, which was clearly the foundational text of their childhood. I mean, nobody That's really gave it. Nobody gave a crap about the original Captain Marvel. He was created largely to secure Marvel's trademark on the name after the, the Shazam lawsuit. And right, they, right. they gender flipped him back in the 70s, which is 20 years before today's trolls were a gleam in their father's eye, but not, alas, a glob in his sweat sock. Um, irritating. This is nitpicky, and it did not ruin the movie for me in any way. But I, I, I wasn't thrilled about the way Nick Fury lost his eye. It, it's not that I wanted a big ocular loss saga, but to do it for basically a joke and a silly bit of continuity grated on me a little bit. Plus, if a cat scratched my eye out, I sure as hell wouldn't give him a comfy bed next to my desk in my office. Thank you. Thank I, you. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm there on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. But I'd put, the, I'd put that muzzle the Cree used back on it, and I'd stick that monster in the deepest solitary confinement cell in whatever the Marvel Universe equivalent of the Pelican Bay Supermax is. I, I, guess, I guess the raft, where everyone ends up and then promptly escapes from at the end of Civil War. No, I, I get why he keeps the cat around. I don't know. It just seems like once once scratched, twice shy. But Okay, gentlemen. It also saved his life. It's better to have that. as It's the best guard cat you could ever have. All you did was lose an eye. You don't need any other security other than that flurkin. Honey, I'm canceling that ADT subscription we have. Because I think we've got a solution. All right. That's a fair point. Eddie, last thoughts? No. Excellent. That answers that. We, we have completely squeezed our brains out. Excellent. I will say that I think Blanche did this entire thing without Dran Bowie this time. None whatsoever. Oh, wow. Did, did you switch to some other brand? No, no. Oh, completely sober. All right. Awesome. I'm a history buff. And anytime anything is history making. It's, it's exciting to me. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again. And welcome back to the whole new movie crew, John Blanche and Mary. 
So happy to have you guys back. Jeff and I will be back shortly. Our next movie is going to be Q, The Winged Serpent, which we are doing in tribute to the late Larry Cohn. And if you'd like to watch and join in, it's currently streaming on Amazon Prime. Thanks again for joining us. And until later, later.